Strange Brew Podcast, Season 1, Episode 106, Packer Bye Week this weekend. They can't hurt us this weekend. Packers are plus 2.5 against the bye week. (laughs) Take the line. With it being the bye week and a time to assess. I wouldn't say this is a midterm because we're not midway through the year. What would you call this? Parent-teacher conference, maybe? Those were always terrifying, especially when your mom was the principal. (laughs) Parent-teacher conference. We'll we'll do one of those. And we're going to talk about Jordan Love. And we're going to talk about Jordan Love in the context of the 2008 Packers season, even though that's not necessarily fair, and we're going to talk about that. There are just a couple of things that I want to go over that compare Love to Rodgers from 08. And we're going to dive into a little bit of that. We will talk about the Badgers. Back on the field against Iowa, I am going to Camp Randall for the first time in, I think, seven or eight years. Very excited to get there with the boys. We will be hanging out. Hopefully the rain will be gone, and hopefully the Badgers will cover nine and a half as they look to get in the driver's seat of the Big Ten West. We're going to discuss baseball, too. Phillies move on. All of the 100-win teams are gone. Playoff format is under fire right now. I'm jealous of those Philly crowds. We'll discuss that as well. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's time! Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown! Wisconsin record breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, base hit the center! Here comes Gomez, around third, a throw, and the Brewers win! Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, it's and there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive, gets inside, leads in. Backed away, it's stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul, and a pinnacle foul throws it down. Swinging fly ball in the right center. Broxton is there, and they're the champions. They have done it. It's been a 50-year journey. Wisconsin, we've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. Before we hop into all of that, one of the segments we do on the B93 Morning Show, which is why you still listen to radio, right? You can't get this kind of stuff on Spotify. If you listen to your own playlist on Spotify, who's going to do all the other stuff for you that radio does? Who's going to tell you it's raining outside? Are you going to figure that out on your own? I don't think so. We're here to do that. Who's going to do a segment where we do athlete and celebrity birthdays in this day in history? Spotify going to do that for you? I don't think so. Who's going to play the songs you don't want to hear? (laughs) Half the songs you don't want to hear when you could just play all the songs that you like. One of the things that we've done for many, many years is a birthday history segment. And today's history on the show prep had a tidbit in it that connects to one of my favorite scenes in one of my favorite movies, Super Troopers. This day in history in 1975 at the Country Music Awards at the CMAs, the big winner that night, the entertainer of the year, was Mr. Sunshine on My Shoulders, John Denver, which means I got to play this on the air this morning. Back in 74, the great Charlie Rich was named Country Musician of the Year. Then in 75, he had to hand the award off to the new one. And you know who that was? Mr. Sunshine on My Shoulders, John Denver. Really? <laughs> Can you believe it? Wow. Replaced by John Denver. Well, I'll be damaged if Mr. Rich didn't pull out his cigarette lighter right there and light that award on fire in front of everyone. So you're saying, can you set my country music award on fire? Obviously edited there for terrestrial radio play. Who's going to edit clips when you could just listen to them in their totality? On YouTube or on Spotify or on whatever playlist you're putting together. That clip never ceases to make me laugh. <laughs> he gets the lighter out and actually lights the tape on fire. Super Troopers, when I was in college from 02 to 06... 
I would say we put that Super Troopers DVD. Let's see if I can get the – I forget what the name of the the DVD home menu. You remember that on DVDs? The home menu would always play kind of the theme song of the movie. What the hell was the name of that song? We would get home from the bars or get home from a house party or just on a Saturday at 2 in the afternoon, we would put in that Super Troopers DVD. We had to watch it 150 times. We laughed every single time. The maple syrup chugging contest. That guy, I wouldn't worry about that little guy. All the quotes of it. Oh, here it is. This, Yeah, it's Trooper with an Attitude. I would fall asleep in the middle of this movie so many times at 3 a.m. and then this would just be playing in the background. Remember, they would play 30 seconds of it on the DVD menu, and then it would just start over again, and it would go on in perpetuity until somebody powered out the DVD player. So if you passed out before the end of the movie on the couch or laying in bed, once it got to the end, it would go back to the DVD menu, and then this would just... And it would just play in your brain for 10 straight hours and you'd wonder why you were humming it the next day. One of the great movies of all time. I mean, that might be a bit dramatic. That feels a tad dramatic. But it was one of, in that era for my age group, it was one of the funniest movies that I think we ever saw. You know what I never saw was Super Troopers 2 and I was so excited when it came out. Broken Lizard did a lot of funny films in that era. They had Beer Fest and what was the other one? There were a couple different ones. They were all pretty good. But I never did watch Super Troopers 2. That came out like five or six years ago. I was so pumped for it, but I don't think going to a movie, I just don't go to movies. And I'm sure it's on HBO now for free somewhere. All right, let's get into a little Packer topic here. The Packers have their bye week this week. This is the parent-teacher conference. They have the Broncos next week, who lost to the Chiefs last night. That was an ugly Thursday game. They're all ugly. They're all ugly. All of the midweek games are ugly, but we all watch them anyway. Chiefs won and covered 19-8. They were 10.5-point favorites. And Harrison Butker hit a 53-yard field goal with under two minutes left. God bless Andy Reid for kicking that. And they got the 10-and-a-half-point cover in a 19-8 slugfest. At Arrowhead, that featured one, Taylor Swift. Maybe an unpopular opinion if we're in the trust tree here with the Nest. I know that a lot of my friends and a lot of country listeners, B93 Morning Show, Everybody's got their opinions on Taylor Swift, and they're eye-rolling Taylor Swift, and we're gagging about Taylor Swift, and we're so sick of Taylor Swift. I think I'm here for this. I actually put on my Facebook, I was one of the first people, I think, in the country. <laughs> Let's just say that. Let's act like it's something bigger than it is. We were, though. Taylor had such a great run on country radio. Very poppy, but everybody seemed to like her. She started on country radio for four or five years. And then it just became obvious after a while that she was heavy on the pop side. It was always poppy, but it became more and more poppy. And around 2013, I want to say it was, or 2014, the album before 1989 came out, which is indisputably one of the great pop albums ever. If you hate that album... You're just hating to hate. And you just have to at least appreciate the quality pop music. She puts out elite pop music. Maybe it's not for you, but you have to appreciate how good it is. You must appreciate it. (laughs) Appreciate it. I guess you can do whatever you want. It is some of the best pop music that's been made in the past 20 years, 30 years. The album right before that one was still kind of a country album, and we were still playing her singles, and it just was not starting to fit with everything we had. And we kind of just took Taylor off the air. But I get that country listeners especially and people in my age group and dudes in their 30s and 40s, they've got their opinions on Taylor Swift. And everybody does. 
I'm past all that. I was in that era when I was in my late 20s. I was so sick of it, and I was ready for her to be off of the format that I was programming. I'm well past that. I've listened to the last two or three albums. It's just it's elite music, and I appreciate it. I'm not going crazy with it, but and listening to it every day, and I don't know all the lyrics front to back, I can appreciate it as elite pop music. I am here for this relationship. If this is a relationship, and I don't know why it would be anything other than that, I understand many people are on Facebook and Twitter and they're trying to say that this is for publicity or they're doing this for popularity or to make money. Let me tell you something. (laughs) Taylor Swift, these are the two biggest entities in the world, the NFL and Taylor Swift. They are two of the biggest brands on the planet. They are both multi-multi-billion dollar industries. What would it serve either of them? Is Taylor Swift sitting around wondering how she can sell 100 more albums to NFL fans? She's got her movies out. That made $100 million over the weekend. She's a certified billionaire selling millions of albums. She doesn't need the NFL, and the NFL doesn't need Taylor Swift. You could argue the NFL maybe needs Taylor Swift's demo more than Taylor's demo needs the NFL. I guess if you want to make that case. Well, we're talking about one of the most popular athletes in Travis Kelsey, the most popular pop star in the country, the biggest sports brand on the planet. What would either of them gain from collaborating? Oh, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fake this relationship, and we're going to all make more money. They don't need it. They don't need it. I believe this relationship is real, and I'm here for it. You've got the all-American pop star. You've got the all-American football player. Do they show her on the TV broadcast a few too many times? Sure, if you want to have that debate. I like it, though. I'm here for it. She was getting into it. She was, oh, my God, and up and cheering every time he made a catch. He had a big game last night. I don't know. I'm here for that. I think I'm, I'm fine with it. I'm good. Anyway, they're getting set for the Broncos next weekend in Denver. We are five games into the Jordan Love era, and unfortunately for Jordan Love, he had his worst game as a pro heading into a bye week. Already the fan base, as the games have gone by this year, as the five games have gone by, We started on such a high note, and we talked about that on Monday's podcast, where he had the highest quarterback rating in the league through the first two weeks. He had six touchdowns. He had no turnovers. It looked like he was going to be the guy. As we discussed on Monday, a little step back in week three, and a little step back in week four, and a lot of step back in week five. He has the zero touchdown, three interception performance. The game ends with an underthrow on a pick to Christian Watts in the back of the end zone. It's just unfortunate timing that he had his worst game heading into a bye week where now you have to sit with it for 13 days and look at all these takes on Twitter and Facebook about the regression, and he doesn't have this, he doesn't have that, he's not going to be the guy that Aaron Rodgers was, they need to put Clifford in, they need to tank and get a higher draft pick. We're in all of that right now. It's unfortunate timing. I'll say now what I said on Monday, I need a full season. Maybe you don't, and that's fine. If you think with your eyes that you have seen enough and this is just not going to be the guy who's going to lead you to a Super Bowl championship unless you have some kind of elite Steelers, 70 Steelers, or 85 Bears, or 02 Ravens defense, if he's not the guy that's going to get you there and you believe that, I understand your want to move on from him. I need a full 17 games. And I honestly need a full 17 games with Aaron Jones playing for the majority of them, that's, I believe, a big part of why we've seen the step back. His best game was the Bears game. It's no coincidence that Aaron Jones, the only game he was healthy and producing, was in week one. It's no coincidence that Jordan Love had cleaner pockets and had some support in the game where he had Aaron Jones. I want to see Jordan Love play the rest of this regular season. Hopefully we'll get to see it starting on Sunday in Denver with a healthy Aaron Jones next to him. By the way, this is not a Jordan Love-related topic here or a tidbit. I saw this on Twitter yesterday, and I actually had to go back and do the math to verify it. It is true. Now, there's not much you can do with Aaron Jones right now because he's not playing. But when he does play, how many times have we said, get him the ball more? Why aren't we getting the ball more? 
This was a tweet on Wednesday. The Packers since 2019 are 35 and 2 when Aaron Jones touches the ball. How many times do you think? I'll give you I'll go off by myself here for a second. I'll give you a second to think about it. The Packers are 35 and 2. They've won 35 of 37 games since 2019 when Aaron Jones touches the ball. How many times? 25? Mm-mm. 20? Mm-mm. 17? Mm-mm. 15 times. That's it. You have to get your most dynamic playmaker of the football, who's a running back, who can catch the ball out of the backfield and was arguably their best wide receiver for a while. All you have to do is get him 15 touches in a four-quarter game, and they go 35-2. and two. The only two losses were the playoff loss to San Francisco in 2021 and I guess a regular season loss to the Bills. I don't even remember when that would have been. Was that last year? Must have been last year. 35-2. and two. I want to see Jordan Love play out the rest of the season with Aaron Jones, and I'd love to see Jordan Love behind a better offensive line. I'm not sure there's much you can do about that at this point. With the Bakhtiari injury, they did get Jenkins back. Maybe he'll be closer to 100% this weekend. I do think that's a part of the difficulty of comparing 08 to now, which we're going to do in a second. Let me tell you all the reasons this logic is flawed, and then we're going to do it anyway. For many reasons, in general... This season is going to get compared to 2008 a lot because you've got a new quarterback, a new era taking over for a Hall of Fame quarterback. In general, that's the plot line. That's the plot summary. It Specifically, they are two different teams with two totally different makeups and totally different head coaches, and you could make a case for it just being a totally different NFL than it was in 2008. It's probably not fair every week to say, well, here's what Aaron Rodgers was doing in 08, and here's what the offense was doing in 08, and here's what the record was in 08. It's probably not fair, but we're going to do it anyway. We're going to do that anyway. Because I think right now, with him playing his worst game and the step backs that he's taken, it's and it's not. It's important for fans to have just a little bit of perspective, myself included. I throw myself in that same batch. Through five games in 2008, the Packers had a 2-3 and three record. The Packers currently have a 2-3 and three record. Through five games in 2008, Aaron Charles Rodgers had accounted for 11 touchdowns and six turnovers, five picks and one fumble. Through five games in 2023, Jordan Love has accounted for 11 touchdowns and six turnovers, identical. Eight touchdown passes, three rushing, and six picks. Aaron Rodgers threw for 1,200 yards. Jordan Love has thrown for 1,100 yards. Aaron Rodgers rushed for 82 yards. Jordan Love has rushed for 109 yards. The stats are comparable, as down as people are on Love. I do also want to say at this point, it's hard to remember what I was thinking in 2008. It's hard to remember what I ate for breakfast yesterday or today or what we did on the air four hours ago. It's another fun thing in radio where somebody asks you what you played on Monday. Someone will call me on Friday. Can you play that song you played on Monday? I really liked it. I don't know. We play a lot of songs. I don't know. I don't remember specifically what I was thinking through five games in 2008. I don't have Facebook records of it. We are going to jump into some tweets from 2008 here in a second. Not mine, but just Packer fans in general. My feeling is that at this point in 2008, through five games and a 2-3 and three record and 11 touchdowns and six turnovers, my feeling is I probably still felt better about Aaron Rodgers being the guy than I do right now with Jordan Love. And I was high on Love. You can go back into the podcast archives and listen to it. With the way he played in week one and week two and the comeback in week three in the fourth quarter, that has subsided a bit to be fair. And I think it's understandable. A lot of fans have been riding that roller coaster and it just hasn't been good the last few weeks. And it's not all on him. 
I do think in 08, I was feeling better about Aaron Rodgers and the possibility of him not becoming a Hall of Famer because that's insane. I don't think we entertain those discussions until probably 2011. After the Super Bowl title and the Super Bowl MVP, they were in the middle of that 15-1 year, and the offense was just cooking everybody, scoring 40 points a game. He was on his way to his first MVP. That was probably the first time we thought Hall of Famer. But at this point in 08, I do think I thought, okay, this guy is going to be our quarterback for a while. He's probably going to be here for three or four or five years, and he's probably going to be a Pro Bowl-level player. Maybe he'll be an All-Pro-level player. I'm not sure where I'm at with Jordan Love on that just yet in the same amount of games in 2023. After week one, I was sold. Right now, I don't know. I, I just need to see the full plate. Going back to 2008, we had somebody, I forget what Packer media member, dig up some of the tweets that people were throwing out there in 08. And we're going back to the infancy of Twitter. Sometimes you say, God, I wish social media would have been around for this, fill in the blank. I wish we would have had tweets about this or Facebook for this to find out what our feelings were in a similar situation later when we do live in a social media world. Twitter did exist in 2008. Twitter has existed since 2006, late 2006, not anywhere near the popularity and the amount of users and the amount of bots. There were no bots probably back then. There was probably not a single bot out there, maybe a one. Now I think it's, what, 50% bots that are trying to poke you and instigate you into arguments all the time, and it works. This is from 2008. Somebody just put this out a screenshot. And I had to laugh because if you just changed Roger's name out and put Love's name in some of these, these are the same tweets we're reading in 2023. Here is just a poo-poo platter, a sampler platter. I love saying poo-poo platter. Of Aaron Rodgers' takes in early October of 2008. Here's one. To Aaron Rodgers, semicolon, rub some dirt on that shoulder and get your ass on the field. We gave up far for this. He must have hurt his shoulder in early October. I kind of remember that. Here's another one. I know Aaron Rodgers is slightly injured on his soldiers, but what the bleep was that? Face palm. Another one. Brett Favre, five touchdown passes and a win. Aaron Rodgers, three interceptions in a game in that same week where where Favre threw five TDs. Rodgers had a three-pick game. Sound familiar? Three interceptions, a loss, and an injured shoulder. How are you doing, Ted? Ted Thompson. Here's another one. After four weeks, Brett Favre is leading the NFL in quarterback rating, 110-ish, and Aaron Rodgers may be out with a shoulder injury. Hmm, maybe should have kept Favre. Here's another one. Brett Favre is breaking records. Aaron Rodgers is just broken. (laughs) Now, I'm not sure we're seeing the love to Rodgers comparisons because Rodgers is hurt. If If Rodgers were playing, though, and he hadn't torn his Achilles in New York and we were comparing his numbers, could you imagine? Thank God. I mean, I don't wish for injury, but... If you are wrapped up in the Packer Twitter spider web and social media and all the different takes out there, we are fortunate that that element of this has been taken away. Because if the Jets were sitting at 4-1 and one or 5-1 and one and Rodgers had 16 touchdowns and two picks and was rolling and that team looked like a Super Bowl contender and then Love had the zero-touchdown three-pick game, good Lord, I think Packer Universe would have imploded on itself. Like we said to preface this whole conversation. I don't know how fair it is to compare those two teams. One part of those two teams that I think is truly unfair to compare is the offenses and the offensive line. That 08 team with Rodgers in year one had, and they were young, and I get they were not quite yet what they were going to be in the future. Some of them were. Donald Driver was a veteran wide receiver. Jordan Love does not have that benefit. Jordan Love does not have a Driver or a Randall Cobb or a Devontae or whatever. Not that I mean, Devontae's better than all of them. He doesn't have a veteran wide receiver to lean on. Rodgers did, and Driver was still in his prime at that point, 1,000-yard years, double-digit touchdown years. 
That was his lead dog that year, Donald Driver. He also had a young Greg Jennings who was already developing into a Pro Bowl-level wide receiver. He had year two James Jones struggling with drops. He had year one Jermichael Finley, year one Jordy Nelson. Nelson wasn't close to what he would be in 2011 and 2012 and 2013 and 2014. But you get it. He had some weapons there. And they had Ryan Grant as a running back coming off of a 1,200-yard year. And a guy they had confidence in in the 08 season as well. I think he had a pretty good year that year. You compare that to what Love has right now. Christian Watson, who only played 10 games last year and has only played two games this year. We love his upside. Hasn't played a whole lot. Romeo Dobbs had a quiet-ish rookie year. Has been up and down to begin this year. And then you've got a rookie in Jaden Reed. You've got rookie tight ends. It's just a younger team overall. Aaron Jones is much better than anybody they had in the backfield in 08, but he hasn't been on the field. You also have to compare the offensive lines in my mind. We've been over after the Lions game and after the Raiders game. Yes, Jordan Love made bad reads. He had happy feet. He sailed balls. He turned the ball over. He made poor decisions. A lot of that is on Jordan Love. He is also under a heavy amount of pressure. The 2023 Packer offensive line is hot garbage, garbage right now. It is awful. Rasheed Walker started okay at left tackle, has regressed, as has Love in his numbers. Rasheed Walker is a seventh-round pick at left tackle. The most important spot on the NFL offensive line, left tackle, the quarterback's blind side, is a seventh-round pick from 2022. You just got Elton Jenkins back, but you had Royce Newman in there, who is a sieve. You have Josh Myers at center, who by most metrics is either the 30th or 31st in a 32-team league rated center in the league. You've got John Runyon Jr., who is basically a guy. He's a middle-tier guy. I don't mind him being there. If the rest of your offensive line is good, John Runyon is fine as a right guard. When the rest of the offensive line is bad and John Runyon might be your best guy, not ideal. Zach Tom, I think we like. He does not have the arm length to play tackle. He is playing right tackle because they need him to. Maybe he will develop into a good right tackle. I think he has a ton of upside, and he will be a figurehead on this offensive line, whether it's at tackle or guard or center, which he can also play. For a long, long time. He is young, though, and he is at the other tackle spot. Look at the 2008 offensive line. You had two tackles in their early 30s who were in the prime of their career in Chad Clifton and Mark Tauscher. Those were anchoring that offensive line. You had Darren College, starting guard on the Super Bowl team a few years later. You had Scotty Wells, starting center on the Super Bowl team a few years later, and a pro bowler. And you had Jason Spitz, who was kind of like Runyon, a guy, but the rest of the offensive line was good, and he was fine in that spot. That's a big difference. Aaron Rodgers had a lot of clean pockets. Jordan Love's numbers in a clean pocket are pretty good, as they should be. If you're an NFL quarterback, a starting NFL quarterback, if you have time and you have a clean pocket, the numbers should be good. If those numbers are bad and the rest of it's bad, then you've got a problem. Those two offensive lines are night and day. Rodgers had a veteran, talented offensive line that was healthy-ish for the majority of the year, and Love has not had that. He has not benefited from that on his end. Those are a couple of things where I make it. I think it's difficult to just say you're comparing apples to apples. You're not the 08 team, the 2023 team. I just thought a few of those tweets, the comparison of the Rodgers-Love numbers, which when you now look at with the added context of the offensive line and the injury issues maybe is even more impressive. The record is the same. The numbers are very similar. And I just thought those tweets from 08, those Rodgers tweets while Favre was having a very productive start with the Jets in 2008, I I thought those were appropriate to bring up as we were just filling some time here, (laughs) heading into the bye week. Like we said on Monday's podcast, we're going to learn a lot on Sunday in Denver. The Broncos are not good. The defense is not good. The Chiefs probably should have shredded them last night. 
a part of that, like we talked about, is Thursday night football and the less time to prep and less time to recover. They gave up a 70-burger to the Dolphins. This is a defense you should be able to score mid to upper 20s or 30 points against with the help of the bye week and the chance to look at some tape and tighten things up and get guys some practice reps. Hopefully you get Aaron Jones back. This is a game on Sunday, this coming, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, the 325 kickoff in Denver. That's a game, I'm not saying that you have to win. It would be great if you won and got to 3-3 three and three and you maybe put yourself back in the conversation early in the year for a wild card spot or whatever. We just need to see on that Sunday a step forward from the offense. We talked about it on Monday. He started hot. The offense started hot. The league has counterpunched. Now he has to counterpunch. And LaFleur has to counterpunch and be a better play caller as well. We need to see a better rhythm from that offense against a horrific Denver defense. If they come out against Denver and they look the way they did against Vegas on Monday with the addition of a bye week and maybe getting Aaron Jones back, then we might have some problems. <laughs> then you might be sitting at two and four with some real problems and some real question marks. Right now at the bye week, I still want to see the full plate. I want to see the full schedule of love. We hope we see Jones. We hope the offensive line gets better. Just a couple of talking points here for a bye week for you. Let's talk about, what was the order of the topics here? I totally forgot. We had Super Troopers. <laughs> that was out of order. Oh, the Badgers. Not a ton to go over. I will be there. I'm going to be at Camp Randall on Saturday. I've not been to a game since 2016. I'm pretty sure I've not been in the student section. We're not in the student section. But the last time I was in the student section, I think I was 24 years old. I went with my buddy Doug. We got tickets. Maybe we were 25. And that day we learned, after doing jump around and gasping for air, <gasps> can I get some oxygen over here? Does anybody have oxygen? Can I get oxygen? That was a day where we left that game after pre-gaming and drinking, and it was a one of those non-conference games, so it was September. It was hot at Camp Randall. I remember we left that game, and we both said on the way back, that's it. That's the last student section game we're doing. We cannot do it anymore. We're not built that way anymore. That's fine. It's good we understand that, and now we can move forward and sit with the olds. <laughs> that's where we're going to be on Saturday. I've been there a long time. Hopefully the rain holds off. Looks like the rain is going to subside in the Madison area by 10 or 11 in the morning. It's just a deluge of rain out there right now in Sheboygan County and most of southeastern Wisconsin. Looks like Madison should be better by the time we get to 3 o'clock kickoff. Badgers are nine and a half point favorites. I had a texter ask me this morning if I'm touching that. As we've said on this podcast over and over again, this team is not trustworthy right now with any kind of line, let alone a nearly double-digit line. They got backdoored by Rutgers. I think they're 2-3 and three against the spread overall, which isn't terrible. I will be betting on the Badgers minus 9.5, and, and the reason that I'm doing that is simple. It is because it is a system play. What's a system play, John? A system play is when I'm at a game, I'm betting on that game. <laughs> That's the system play. I don't have any X's and O's. I don't have any in-depth knowledge. I don't have any behind-the-scenes knowledge that would lead me one way or the other. The reason I'm betting the Badgers minus 9.5 to win by 10 points is because I will be there, and I have to have money on the game if I'm there. Is that mean a problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> Maybe I should put that on my speed dial. Maybe one of these podcasts will just do where I call 1-800-GAMBLER, and then we go through the steps and figure out what that's all about. If I'm at a game, I'm betting on it. If you see me at a Bucks game, I've got money on that game. If you see me at a Packers game, I've got money on that game. If you see me at a Badgers game, I've got money on that game. If you see me calling a high school football game on Friday night, I don't have money on those games. Unless somebody out there listening knows a guy, and then maybe I would have money on that game. That's the reason I'm betting them. I do believe they'll win the game. I also threw them in some Moneyline Parlay ticklers, too. It's probably going to be tight. All these games have been so far. We have not gotten the game like we discussed on Monday where they go out and they win by 40 points and you say, hey, this is the team. This is the Luke Fickle team that we all expected to see. They showed up a little late, but here they are. 
I have now accepted that that's just not something we're going to see this year. If we do, I will be pleasantly surprised. I am no longer going into week saying, maybe this is the week they score 45 points and they win 45-10 to 10 and the defense is clicking and the offense is moving the ball and Tanner Mordecai throws for four touchdowns and Braylon Allen has 150 yards in the crowd. I'm not... I'm not going in any game with those preconceived notions anymore. I've done that too many times this year. We're halfway through the year. This team at this point is probably what it is. What it is is if you win on Saturday, a Big Ten West champion in all likelihood and a participant in the Big Ten championship game doesn't feel like they'll have much of a chance in that game, doesn't feel like they'll have much of a chance at home against Ohio State. We were all optimistic about that before the year began. Oh, they're at home. It's the only tough game they're playing. They're probably going to lose that game by four touchdowns. They're probably going to lose in the Big Ten Championship game by four touchdowns. That's where they're at right now. Good things, great things are on the way for this program in the Luke Fickle era. It just doesn't feel like this year is going to be one of them. It's probably going to be three or four years and a full recruiting cycle and maybe a recruiting cycle after that. It could be three to five years before we see what this team is going to be, and which is hopefully a 10 or 11 win team and a team vying for a Big Ten Championship and a college football playoff spot year in, year out under Luke Fickle. We've got a lot longer of a road than we thought we would. We thought we were five miles outside of town, and we're 75 miles outside of town. That's where we stand right now. So I'm no longer going to these games thinking this will be the game. I'm hoping for an ugly win like we saw against Rutgers. That's probably what it's going to be, 24-10. to 10, Hopefully they'll cover. Or 17-10 to 10, or 17-13, to 13, something like that. Get the win, though, and they will be in the driver's seat for a Big Ten West championship. It would almost be hard for them to lose the Big Ten West championship with the teams that are in the Big Ten West, if they win this weekend, they're 3-0. and Iowa would then be 2-2, two and two, and you'd have the tiebreaker. Is there anybody else you're really worried about in the Big Ten West? They've got Illinois coming up. Looked like maybe Bielema had that team going in the right direction. They've taken a big step backward this year. You would think the Badgers could win that at Illinois. There's always that rivalry with Bielema element there. You don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. That's one conference loss for sure. But the rest of these should be win-ugly games, and you could get to nine wins or ten wins, hopefully ten. Hopefully nine if you had the eight-and-a-half season win total. And get yourself into the Big Ten championship game. If you win this game, it's going to be tough for somebody else to get that spot. I guess you do end the year at Minnesota. Minnesota just got waxed by Michigan. And P.J. Fleck basically said that team's a lot better than us. I think he said that team is the best team that he's ever seen at the collegiate level. They could be the number one team in the country. The only reason Georgia is is because of what they did in the college football playoff last year to Michigan. And they're the reigning champions. And until they lose, even if they're winning close or not covering or winning ugly, until they lose, they have to be the number one team. Michigan has to be the number two team, even though Michigan may be the most talented team in college football. We'll see what the Badgers can do on Saturday. Deacon Hill is going to get the start for Iowa. Cade McNamara is out for the year. Deacon Hill used to be a Badger quarterback. Then he transferred, could have some revenge on his mind. I don't know that that revenge is going to result in a win. He made his first start last week. Numbers weren't good. Numbers weren't good when he came in halfway through two weeks prior for Cade McNamara. There is that subplot, too, heading into Saturday where you have a former Badger as the starting quarterback for Iowa Saturday afternoon. 3 p.m. kickoff, Badgers, nine-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm not going to put that in the pick segment. We're going to get to that in a second or in a couple minutes. That is a bet I will make. I don't know if I want to put that on the official Strange Brew record. I'm just saying I'm there, so I'm betting on it. What else do we have going on? Baseball. Guys, (laughs) I wrote a blog on Thursday. We did a deep dive Wednesday blog that went into what what we touched on Monday for the Brewers for the upcoming season. And Matt Arnold in his season-ending press conference seemed to indicate that they are not, at the moment, entertaining any ideas to trade Corbin Burns or to trade Willie Adamas. We wrote the whole blog on Wednesday about how they could pull a 2011, 
with Prince Fielder, and instead of trading him for prospects and trading these guys for prospects and re- and stocking the farm system and continuing to build with pitching and defense from within, they could take an alternate route and keep all three of them, and if you lose them at the end of the year, you lose them, but go all in and get a couple of bats. Trade some of your prospects and get two legitimate bats in the middle of the order to build this offense around and maybe give yourself a real chance at a title run in 2024, future be damned. We wrote a blog about that on Wednesday. And then after the Wednesday night Bryce Harper game in Philly, I wrote a whole blog about how jealous I was of those fans in Philly. The fans at Citizens Bank, or the bank as they call it in Philly, have been live wires in the best possible way, unhinged in the best possible way. I want to be back in a crowd like that in October baseball so bad. They say jealousy is a stinky cologne. Well, I smell like a high school freshman dude who took a bath in Dracar Noir. That is how jealous I am, and I was that guy. That is how jealous I am of the fun that those Phillies fans are having at the bank as they watch that team hit home runs and pitch well and get past one of the best teams in baseball. I I just, I want that back so bad. That's so cool, too, when they hit home runs. I didn't realize they have the whole Liberty Bell connection, too, where the bell dongs like Hell's Bells, Trevor Hoffman, Trevor Hoffman's birthday today, too, that they do that bell tone after a big home run. Wednesday was the Bryce Harper game where he hit two home runs after Orlando Arcia apparently chirped him. That story is so blown out of proportion to me. After the Braves win on whatever day, Monday, game two win, the way they ended it where they picked off Bryce Harper at the end for a double play to end the game. Apparently in the celebration in the Atlanta locker room, Arcia was saying something to the effect of, attaboy Bryce, attaboy, probably sarcastically. I mean, is that really... People call that trash talk or that motivated Bryce. Clearly it did because of the actions of Bryce after those home runs on Wednesday. I didn't feel like that was that aggressive. Felt pretty harmless or innocuous. Word score. That didn't feel like it was too over the top. Attaboy, Bryce. Attaboy, Bryce. Anyway, that got leaked out of the Braves locker room. The Braves were trying to make that a story too. A bunch of guys heading into Wednesday or Thursday's game when the Bryce Harper storyline was out there. He hit the two home runs. He stared down Arcia both times. The crowd was going banana land. Then in the postgame of that game, Braves were upset or had a dump in their pants about how some media member let it get out that Arcia said that, and how dare you, and this is a sacred place, and Jesus, guys, you're the best team in baseball, and you're getting your ass handed to you in another season against the Phillies. You're about to fall way short of expectations, and you're going to blame some podcaster like me, some jamoke like me, for stirring things up by letting a quote, an attaboy Bryce Orlando Arcia quote that fired up Bryce Harper? Give me a break. Get off the cross. We need the wood. I mean, come on. That's You can't point to that as a reason you lost the series or lost a game. Coming out of that game, then Thursday was the clincher, and it was Strider on the mound, one of the best in the business, Cy Young candidate for the Braves. Castellanos got him for two more. Castellanos hit four home runs in the last two games. They had to bring in Kimbrel, their closer, in the seventh inning, kind of like the what the Brewers did with Hayter in 2018. When you felt the game was in the balance, you brought in Hayter regardless of what inning it was. The bases were loaded in a 3-1 to game. Philly's up 3-1. to Bases were loaded, two outs in the seventh inning, and Acuna coming up. Acuna, who is going to be maybe a unanimous MVP this year. And you bring in Kimbrell, and he got him in a two-strike count, and they got that catch from the center fielder at the wall. Crowd again erupts, blows the – well, there's no roof, but, you know, figurative roof. Blows the figurative roof off the place. And they end up shutting her down and getting a win, a 3-1 to win. Phillies are just riding that wave again this year. It's just amazing to watch. Now, all the big guns are out. They had the 101-win Orioles out. You have the 105-win Braves, who were the odds-on World Series favorites all year, 
they're out of there. You had the, what was the other 100-win team? The Dodgers. Dodgers didn't have a lead, guys. The Brewers did it again. You beat the Brewers in the playoffs, and it's a springboard to immortality. I do not get it. I hate it here. I hate it. <laughs> I just say I hate it. How does it happen every year? The Diamondbacks backslid in the playoffs. I'm almost starting to wonder now if the Diamondbacks didn't do that on purpose. Because if you look at the potential matchups, they were never in danger of being out of the playoffs. They were sitting in that five seed for most of the last month of the year. And their matchup then would have been Philly. Now, if you're the Diamondbacks, and we see what Philly's doing now, but Philly, like last year, has a loaded lineup, just top to bottom. They've got masher after masher after masher. They've got an Excellent starting staff. They've got a great bullpen. One of the great misconceptions of this Phillies team, and I don't know how they did this. I guess because last year they were the sixth seed, and when you're the last team in, people make like you're the underdog story. That's one of the dumbest things that I think happened out of last year, and people are kind of doing it again with the Phillies this year. This is not an underdog team. This team has Trey Turner on a $300 million contract, Bryce Harper on a $400 million contract, Castellanos on a $150 million contract, JT Real Muto's on a $100-plus million contract. They've got a lineup that's over a billion dollars. They're one of the biggest spenders in baseball. This is not some young upstart underdog story that figured out a different way to win because they couldn't compete economically. This is a loaded team. But if you're the Diamondbacks and you're looking at, we have to either deal with the Phillies in the first round or the Brewers, and then if somehow we get past the Phillies in a three-game series, we'd have to go to Atlanta, 105 win, favored to win the World Series. The easier path was always going to Milwaukee and then going to L.A. after that, even though the Dodgers are a 100-win team. Do you think they did that on purpose to get those matchups? Maybe. They sweep the Brewers away, and then they go to L.A., and the Dodgers never had a lead. They never had a lead. They didn't just lose. They never had a lead for a single minute of that series. And the Diamondbacks get to the NLCS. Now you're in a situation with the ALCS where you've got the Astros and Rangers. And in the NLCS, you've got the Phillies and the Diamondbacks. With all of these teams out now, you had three 100-win teams out. You had a 99-win Rays team out. And then the Brewers with the fifth-best record in baseball at 92-70, and 70, they're up. This has led to quite a bit of discourse about changing the playoff format, which is not going to happen. But it is a worthwhile conversation because now you've had two years of this with the additional wildcard teams where you have six seeds instead of four in each in each league conference, in each league. It's the second year they've done this, and it's the second year where wildcard teams are having more success than the 100-win division-winning teams. It is looking like, unlike football or like football, sometimes having that buy in football, the Packers can attest to that. Sometimes having that bye week, you rest the guys the final week of the regular season, then you've got a week off, and then it takes a while to get revved up again in the divisional round of the NFL. This happens at all levels, really, that have a bye week built into their playoff bracket. It is looking like, though, through two years, winning the division and getting a first-round bye is not necessarily helpful, especially in baseball, a sport that is kind of built on rhythm and consistency and routine. And having that disrupted for half a week or more does not seem to be helping the division winners than the teams that were the best teams in baseball over the course of a six-month, 162-game schedule. If I know baseball the way I think I do, (laughs) they will recognize this as a problem. And then at a glacial pace, remember how long it took to get the pitch clock? And then the pitch clock pretty much unanimously has been renowned by even the most traditionalist baseball fans. It took them forever to get to that, and it's taking them forever to get to a home plate robot ump, which is going to happen at some point, too. It's just a matter of when, not if, but when. It's taking them forever to do that, and it'll take them forever to adjust this, but I don't think they're going to. The revenue they're getting now with the extra playoff teams, how that makes the end of the regular season more interesting. I don't know how you fix it if you want to fix it, 
for the 100 win teams and to get the best matchups and the best teams to move on. I don't know how you do that. You could maybe do – I've heard some ideas where maybe in the first round you'd do a doubleheader round one. I actually heard one idea I didn't hate. Doubleheader is one idea. It's just you play – in the wild card round you'd play a doubleheader that day, and it could be over in one day then. You play two games. That would tighten things up, and then the teams that have the bye wouldn't be sitting around with their putt in their hand for three or four days until they find out who they play. Another idea was this. This was posited by a Brewer fan, so certainly that has to be established because this probably would have helped the Brewers, even though they didn't win a game. If you are the higher seed, you have a two-game series. Instead of a three-game series, you have a two-game series. And if you are the higher seed, if you're the four and the four-five matchup or the three and the three-six matchup, you only have to win one game. That is your reward for being the best wildcard team or being the worst of the division winners, but still one of the best three teams in the league. Uh, It's a two-game series, and maybe you could do that with a doubleheader, and you could knock this all out in one day. The team that is the underdog must win both games to move on. The team that had the better record in the regular season needs one win to move on. I don't hate that idea either, and that would tighten up the schedule. But if I know baseball the way that I've known it over my entire life, they'll recognize a problem then fix it 25 to 30 years later. Those that are out there expecting this to get addressed in the offseason or to get fixed in the next year or two are insane. They're going to want like a 10-year sample size of this, and then they're going to go from there. It could be an anomaly. And again, let's not act like these are nobodies. The Diamondbacks are a surprise. The Rangers aren't a surprise, really. They were a contender and a first-place team for most of the year. The Astros are definitely not a surprise. That's the team that has been to the ALCS and the World Series so many times in the past decade. They probably did Cadillac it a little bit in the regular season. It's their seventh straight ALCS trip. That's not an underdog crazy team to be in the ALCS. And like we just said, the Phillies are one of the most loaded teams in Major League Baseball. Some of these teams are not surprises, but it is jarring when you get all these 100-win teams and none of them seem to be able to do anything in the playoffs. I am eternally jealous, though, of those crowds in Philly. I think I'm rooting for Philly, and I hate that I'm doing that. I absolutely hate that I'm rooting for the Phillies. Those crowds are so infectious, though, and when you see them on TV and hear how loud they are and you see the videos with B.A. calling them on Twitter, that's another twist to the knife, too. Not only am I jealous that those crowds are out there having that kind of a good time, and then you get the Brewer announcer, who's one of the best, maybe the best in the game right now. He's the guy on the call, and you've got that connection the Brewers, too. <laughs> Just an additional twist of the knife on coming up short for the Brewers and then watching these other teams and hearing B.A. on the call. Those are the championship series, though, that are set to start, I think, this weekend. Real quick before we make picks, we are going to get, lordy lordy, we are going to get the debut of Dame Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo on the field or on the court on Sunday. We're finally going to get it. It's probably the only preseason game of the year they're going to play. It's on at 6 o'clock Sunday night. It is on ESPN, and it is against the Lakers. I don't know if the Lakers are playing LeBron or Anthony Davis or any of their key people. We're finally going to get it. We are going to see Dame Lillard on a basketball court in a Bucks jersey, and I cannot wait. I am ready for it. I had one person I was talking to earlier this week, a buddy of mine, and we were talking about that, and this is one of the biggest topics if you're a Wisconsin sports fan is this team being the odds-on favorite now to win the title, which we saw how well that went for the Braves and all that stuff. And being the odds-on favorite and then having this Hall of Fame combo now, this guard-forward combo of Giannis and Dame, we're talking about that, and then the guy I was talking to said, God, the only thing that worries me is 
these super teams. I guess we are a super team. We talked about that after they got Lillard. I guess we are kind of a super team now with, with Lillard and Giannis and Middleton and Brooke and a lot of money, and you're in the super tax and the ultra super tax and the double, triple down super tax, and you can't double stamp a triple stamp super tax. One of the highest payrolls in the league. I guess we are. I guess we are a super team, which of all the things that have happened in the past 20 years for this Bucks franchise, winning a title and having an MVP and a once-in-a-lifetime talent, them being the second or third highest payroll and that deep into the luxury tax is another thing that's really hard to wrap your brain around if you're a lifelong diehard Bucks fan like I am. He said to me, the only thing I worry about is with these super teams and it just doesn't work out. And then we get all hyped up and it ends up falling flat. And I said, I am going to worry about that never. <laughs> I'm going to worry about that if that happens, if they get to the playoffs, they're the one seed or the two seed, and they come up short of the finals by a round, or they lose in the finals, or they fall flat on their face, or there's injuries, or whatever it ends up being, yes, all of that's a possibility. I will worry about that when we get to spring. I am not going to dampen my enthusiasm right now and say, well, what if this happens, and what if that happens, and maybe this could happen, and what if it doesn't work out, and the chemistry doesn't come together. I'm not worrying about any of that. And if it does not work out, I have scars. My, my sports scars have sports scars. You can't hurt me. I'm a Wisconsin sports fan. You think that if the Bucks, if this is a letdown in the Lillard-Giannis era, which I find impossible to believe, in the two or three years they're going to be together or more, it feels impossible they're not going to at least make a run to the finals. Even if all of it collapses on itself, you can't hurt me. After 2014 and the NFC Championship game, after all of the Brewer playoff collapses and the Aaron Rodgers playoff collapses and the defense falling short and the 2019 Eastern Conference Finals and the Hail Marys and the Fail Marys and all that stuff, you can't hurt me. You can't hurt It would take a special act to hurt me at this point, to hurt me that deep that I'd be worried about it. My, my sports scars have scar tissue on them. I'll be fine. But we'll see how it shakes down on Sunday. Looks like they're going to be on the floor together. All right, let's make some picks. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Never tell me the odds. If someone gives you 10,000 to 1 on anything, you take it. That's a cool G, Daddy. Oh, now you got to let it ride. I think we forgot to put that sounder in last week. I think we forgot. Somebody had emailed me about that. I went back and listened to it, and I said, let's make some picks. And then there was me whistling to myself for 20 seconds, and then we got into the picks. So that's on me. That's on our producer. I have five. We went four and three last week, and we were so close to a five and two. We were close to a five and two weekend and a four and oh college football weekend. If not for Colorado, Dion let me down. They had that cover the whole way, then they gave it up. They ended up winning the game by three, but they were favored by four. They had that. They were in the money or in the number for the entire game and just let it loose in that fourth quarter and could not get it back. We end up 4 and 3, which gets us back to 500. We are 14 and 14 on the year. I have 5 for you and the Badgers pick, I guess. I don't love any of these if we're totally honest with each other. I just then the spreads this weekend and I looked. I was looking at all kinds of college football games last night on the laptop. I was trying to find anything. I don't really love any of these, but we're going to go with it. In college football, I have through I got 6 picks. I've got 3. I've got Tennessee, number 19, at home against Texas A&M, unranked. I've got them minus three. I feel this is going to be a letdown spot for A&M. A&M played Alabama very tough, and that was at A&M last Saturday. That was one of the covers we got was Alabama covering at A&M. A&M gave Alabama everything they had, came up short. Then the next week when you're on the road in the SEC against a top 20 team, that feels like a letdown spot, and the spread is only three. Tennessee minus three at home against AM. It is USC Notre Dame weekend. Some of my favorite Saturdays in fall are the USC Notre Dame weekends. 
tough to get a read on this one. You've got Hartman with Notre Dame. We cashed some early season tickets on Notre Dame. Three, I think. They are 5-2, and two, still top 25. USC, Caleb Williams, Heisman frontrunner or candidate, going to be the number one overall pick in all likelihood unless he goes back to USC. USC unbeaten, number 10 in the country, still have a pretty porous defense. They are plus three at Notre Dame. I'm taking the points. This game feels to me like a coin flip in terms of talent. I know that it's in South Bend. Notre Dame has their backs against the wall. If they lose this game, the season's already kind of a wash for them. Notre Dame is a championship or bust school to begin with, which is what's been killing them over the course of the last 30 years. They already have two losses, so they're done. They could stake their season on this, though. I get that going in. I still like that USC offense, and I like them catching points. I'll take them plus three on the road at Notre Dame. And then maybe the biggest matchup of the weekend. It's so crazy to me. The Pac-12 is going to be the Pac-2 next year, and they are having their best year. They are the best conference in college football right now, top to bottom in terms of ranked teams, in terms of Heisman contenders, in terms of national title college football playoff contenders. The Pac-12 has them every one of them, and they're going to be gone as a conference. You've got number seven, Washington, with Michael Penix as their quarterback, who's a Heisman candidate, against Oregon with Bo Nix as their quarterback, who's a Heisman candidate. Washington is seventh in the country. Oregon is eighth in the country. They are both unbeaten. This almost feels like a de facto play-in game to the college football playoff. Whoever wins this game is likely to be a Pac-12 representative or at least get to the Pac-12 championship game. I'm going to take Washington home. They're minus three. In big games like that, it is so hard in college football to not only beat the team across from you that's evenly matched, but to overcome what is going to be a raucous atmosphere. We just saw in baseball the effect that a Philly crowd would have on that, and they got an Orlando RCS head, and they broke his brain, and they, and they broke the brave spirit. I believe this is going to be a close game. I'm just going to give Washington, like the like the Vegas line is, that's the home field line. I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt at home, minus three. And then in the NFL, I've got to be honest about one thing. I put this bet down on the Niners-Cleveland game the second I found out that Deshaun Watson is probably not playing. The spread is now 11 points. I got it at 9.5. Feels a little disingenuous to give you that spread and that line. (laughs) And then if you are making a bet and you go on and you see the line is totally different, I got on that. I had the good fortune of seeing the Watson news start to spread the minute it happened. It's likely that he's not going to play. If they're playing their backup rookie quarterback against that Niners defense, I don't care how good the Browns defense is, and it is in Cleveland. That Niner offense is clicking. The Niner defense is loaded. They should not give up a point. I mean, are they going to give up 10 points max to a backup rookie quarterback in Cleveland? I took the Niners minus 9.5 at Cleveland. I am taking the Bengals minus 2.5 against the Seahawks at home. That's in Cincy. Seahawks come in 3-1. We saw a rejuvenated Joe Burrow last week. That was a do-or-die game against Arizona. It was close early. They pulled away late. Jamar Chase had a big game. It looked like Burrow must have got some kind of PRP injection or something in that Achilles tendon or in that ankle or the calf, whatever his issue is. He looked totally refreshed, and they are still in a spot where they need to win to get back to 500. They've got a daunting schedule coming up after this game. Not that the Seahawks aren't a good team. The schedule after this game for the Bengals is a murderer's row for three or four weeks. This is one they absolutely have to get at home if they are going to contend yet in the AFC. I'll take them minus two and a half. And then I am taking the big nut against the Dolphins and Panthers. It's a 14-point spread. That's a huge number to get, 13 and a half. You have to win by two touchdowns. The Panthers are bad, and the Dolphins are good, and that's the analysis. They score a ton of points. Panther defense is not good. 
I don't see Bryce Young getting on track against that team. Maybe Andy Dalton gets in and he could score some points. I'll take the Dolphins minus 13 and a half at home against the Panthers. Bengals minus two and a half against the Seahawks. Niners minus nine and a half against Cleveland. You can't find that line anymore. And in college, Tennessee minus three against A&M. Washington minus three against Oregon. Game of the weekend and USC plus three at Notre Dame. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you Monday. We'll be recapping Camp Randall and all of the fun we're going to have there or all the aches and pains we have. I'm pre-tumsing and pre-adviling as we speak. And we'll chat with you about that on Monday, a little more baseball recap. We will recap the Dame-Giannis game from Sunday night, and then we get set for Packers-Broncos next weekend. Have a happy, safe weekend. We'll chat with you then.